episode number 54 of the Between the Cracks podcast. I am your host, Bill, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Chris, how you doing? 54, your age. <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> I am a few years south of 54, but I am uh, creeping up on it ever so quickly. If you were to age me by my back, I would definitely be at least 54. <laughs> Especially in the lower region. Dude, I'm telling you, man, everything is hurting. I was at the gym today, and like, just like when I have like leg days, the idea of squatting, like the, the, the front of my knees hurt so bad, and now I'm just starting to get pains on the top of my feet, whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> I haven't been very active in the past, uh, well, year, really, but uh, we went like hiking this past weekend, mm-hmm. probably like I think we went like Friday and Saturday and uh, I was like, oh, I feel fine on, um, you know, Sunday morning, my man, Monday morning, I was in a goddamn wheelchair. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude, like it, it's like small little minute movements that you don't even think or you don't feel at the time. They come back to bite you in the ass so hard a- a- after you rest for a night, you know? Yeah. It's, it's weird how it takes like two days for it to like really hit your body. But, uh, fuck, I just, I'm just out of shape. Well, uh, I have more bad news for you, pal, because uh, we actually have our race season coming up. And as many of you may have heard us talk about in the past, Chris and I uh, do a number of Spartan races each year. But fortunately, we weren't able to do it last year because of um, the pandemic. But it looks like uh, everything is opening back up, pal. So uh, get ready for a little more pain coming your way. (laughs) And and in a situation where we will actually plea and beg for these to be postponed but, uh, <laughs> like you. everything else in well, our life <laughs> i told you i had the one um that i registered for up at uh city field and then i had uh the ultra that was supposed to happen on oh my god uh next week next saturday it was supposed to be down in uh new jersey at um mountain creek and dude when they postponed that i'm not gonna lie i felt pretty fucking good about it because <laughs> you still feel like you're tr- you still feel like you're trying to do something like, you didn't cancel, so it's different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Completely different. But now, people may say, what the fuck are these guys even talking about? And how does this even parlay into what tonight's episode is about? Well, <laughs> funny, you, <laughs> funny you ask it, people. <laughs> if anybody's actually listening. Uh, it does, because tonight's episode takes place in a town that Chris and I are very, and I mean very familiar with because tonight everybody chris and i are talking about the mysterious bennington triangle section of vermont and now chris i think i might have told you this is actually a listener request from our dear friend faye all the way across the pond in england so faye this one is for you i hope we do do it justice and i hope you like uh my theory at the end because uh Chris, I didn't even share my theory with you, pal. That's how uh, that's how mysterious uh, this ending is going to be. I'm un- unaware of this theory, so uh, can't wait. And thank you, Faye, of course, as always, not only throwing us some requests, it's always nice to get uh, some feedback from our listeners, but also uh, for your donation and your, your compliments and everything. It's Yes, we certainly do appreciate all of our patrons. And Chris, I should mention... One of our other patrons, Liz, wrote me tonight, and uh, <laughs> she heard the commercial from uh, the John Titer episode. The uh, what the hell was it? The um, 
Uh, uh, just, Justin Apron. Justin Apron.net. <laughs> yes, uh, where uh, Liz, much like uh, ourselves and Faye, hate these fucking commercials in podcast. I, I, I honestly cannot stand it. I, it, like it. When a podcast is flowing and it just jumps to a commercial, I can't stand it. So we were never participating in that. It just ruins the whole show. It, it fucking fucks everything up. I told Liz that the only thing you're going to hear here are commercials mocking these companies. And every commercial here will be fake. So please don't jump ship on us. <laughs> and because nobody will actually sponsor us, we... <laughs> We decided maybe we'll just make our own commercials. And it's funny. Listen, the show is shitty enough. I don't think we need any more uh, baggage on top of it. <laughs> but Chris, please, you're being so rude, and uh, our listeners do not appreciate it, pal. Let's get back to the topic at hand. As I said, tonight we are talking about the Bennington Triangle. Before we get into what the actual Bennington Triangle is, we need to go back in history a little bit and unravel the layers of uh, the historical aspects of old Bennington, Vermont, one of my favorite states, uh, to be honest with you. And Chris, as you know, Bennington is not that far from me. It's right across the uh, New York-Vermont uh, state line there. Indeed, and that is why uh, when we chose to do this race, that we were happy to uh, to go to Bennington to complete our trifecta. <laughs> well, we made that horrible mistake because we did the race up in Killington and I got a, a steal at the Hampton Inn in Bennington for, I mean, I, I forgot what the hell the thing was, like $50 a night or some shit and thinking it was a lot closer than it was. So after we did the 15 mile race, <laughs> my legs were pretty much just fused to the car seat and my uh, eyes were just fucking sewn shut by the time we made it back down. I think it was like an hour ride or some shit. It was brutal. <laughs> Bennington may have been a nice quick drive from uh, where you are, but we did not factor in the 4,200 mile trip it would be to Killington. <laughs> no, we did not. And uh, do you remember? <laughs> I was fucking when we when I was running the show into this. I was laughing how how exhausted and how tired we were. And we went to that Chili's that was in the parking lot right next to it. Our bodies were decomposing right in front of our fucking faces. <laughs> yeah, it, oddly, like you think that you just want to crush food when you're done, but we were like, our bodies were so just beaten. That we, we just didn't even... All we wanted to do was just sleep. Dude, and I remember I drank 15 root beers or so, like some, some crazy number like that, like where they freeze the fucking mug and it comes out all frothy and oh my God, it was delicious. So I mean, I, I, and I remember, I think I made myself sick from all the sugar after that. So that was a terrible night. But that's neither here nor there, Chris, because Bennington is beautiful. So please, Chris, please, I'm begging you, give us a little history of old Bennington. What do we got? Well, I'm glad you asked. So Bennington is located in... You guessed it, the county of Bennington. Go mm. figure. Okay. And uh, it is one of two Shire towns. Now, you ask, what is a Shire town? And I re- respond with, I have no idea, actually. <laughs> uh, and the population, and thanks for asking, Bill, is also 15,764. It happens to be the third largest town in Vermont, but one of the things that it is most known for is its Battle Monument. Oh, do you remember that, dude? We saw that. We, yeah, we, I remember driving by and seeing this, you just see this giant statue, like, kind of like sticking up out of the middle of the woods, it looks like, but we never, did we ever, I don't think we ever stopped there, like, no. actually at the monument. No, but. we didn't, but now that I have your attention, uh, would you like to see my monument? <laughs> I, I don't think so, <laughs> not the way you just worded it. <laughs> Continue, Chris. Jesus. 
It is the tallest human-made structure in the state of Vermont. Uh, and, and, you know, like most towns, they've, they're known for a specific type of uh, craft. And uh, this town happens to be known for its pottery, iron, and textiles. It's funny that you say it's the third largest town in Vermont. Judging by what I've seen there, I would never have guessed that, right? It just has the one or two roads that run right through it. Yeah, I know, like, just, just by looking at it, because it is really a small town, but I guess, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why we like Vermont, right? There's just not that many people. That, and of course, the history, which we love so much about Vermont, the Bennington Battle Monument is actually commemorating the Battle of Bennington that was took place back in the Revolutionary War, which, of course, we absolutely love that time period. So, Chris, why don't we dive into this? Let's dive right into what people refer to as the Bennington Triangle. And that wasn't the original name of the locations of the missing people that we're going to be talking about tonight. Because as of this day, there are still some mysterious disappearances in this so-called triangle. But an author by the name of Joey Citro coined that phrase that um, it was an actual triangle referencing the location where a number of people went missing between the years 1945 and 1950. So within this five-year span, there were a number of bizarre disappearances and tonight we're going to be talking about the five most well known of those disappearances the center of this triangle is focused on glastonbury mountain in the green mountain national forest like green mountain coffee right pal oh yeah that's it yeah you can't Your put favorite. A, you can't put a price on that so <laughs> this basically branches out into the other surrounding areas such as bennington Straffsbury, somerset and glastonbury itself as Chris said before, these towns were thriving industrial towns, but after those industries sort of started their decline in the 19th century, the population of these towns started to decrease, thus uh, in some forms becoming ghost towns. The term ghost town is very fitting for what we're talking about tonight because, as I said, we're going to be talking about five bizarre and mysterious disappearances that took place within a five-year period. The first person that we're going to be talking about tonight is Mitty Rivers, and this one occurred on November 12th of 1945, and apparently Mitty was guiding a group of hunters up into the mountains. You know, obviously this guy must have known the area, he was well-versed in the terrain, he was a hunter himself, so Mitty would basically run these guided tours and take these hunters up throughout the terrain in their search to hunt wildlife and whatnot. As the story goes, Mr. Rivers was with this group of four hunters that he was guiding up the mountain. So apparently Mitty made it up to the mountain and the guys did their hunting and whatnot. It was on the way down in which Mitty ran into some trouble. Apparently he got ahead of the group, which is kind of odd if you're a paid guide, right? I mean, you kind of want to stay with these guys in uh, a terrain and uh, a forested area that they may not know. But apparently Mitty went ahead and uh, Chris... Mr. Rivers was never seen nor heard from again, and the guys made it back down the mountain, and a search was then conducted, but get this, the only thing that was ever recovered was a single rifle cartridge from Mitty's shotgun. Which is very interesting, because they said that they found his this shotgun cartridge in a stream, right? Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think we're talking about something that would be like wide or big enough for someone to fall in and get swept away. Where could this guy possibly have gone? I assume animal? I mean, who knows if they... Because obviously we know there's bears, but 
Vermont's not known for giant bears. Well, that's the thing, too. If he was the guide of this tour, how far in front of them could he have been? You know, if he's in charge of leading the way and getting them back down the mountain safely, you would think that he would only be a few yards away. I mean, and I know there are twists and turns in these trails and whatnot where you can go unnoticed for a little bit, but it seems awfully odd. And the fact that his gun was never recovered, any of his clothing, any other piece of evidence aside from this cartridge was ever found which makes me think maybe there was a hunting accident and they hid the body like i'm looking at this date now this is november 12th so we're pretty much in that peak or probably past the peak of the foliage season up in vermont but you know when you're hiking especially these old industrial areas they were prone to having wells in these fields so i'm just wondering maybe there was some coverage over an old well or an old, you know, hole or something or a dwelling or some shit and uh, Mitty fell right into it and was never noticed. That's an excellent point because I think by then in Vermont, there'd probably be plenty of leaves on the ground by, uh, to cover any potential, like, even deep crevices or something. Who knows? It, you're walking through the woods here on the side of a, you know, a mountainous area. There could have definitely been some sort of covered hole of some sort because, for like, like you said, for them to not... Def- find any trace of anything other than a cartridge shell which is not really finding much uh, when an entire person disappears with full outfit and gun and all that so that too but plus the way foliage falls right i mean if, if it's windy and whatnot i mean this shit could just be falling like crazy so once he falls in there he could be covered within a half hour right if there's substantial tree coverage in that area yeah i mean or if he's unconscious from the fall or something and doesn't respond to calls and that's the thing too we don't know what time of day it was so it could very well have been um, getting dark at this point so as you said if he fell into this hole and broke his neck or you know was rendered unconscious he can't answer and we're talking about 1945 so as we always say (laughs) they didn't have these technological advances that we do today so you know i'm thinking that it looks like uh, Mr. Rivers might have fallen into a hole somewhere along the way if he wasn't indeed killed by accident via one of these hunter's shotguns. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking he might have fallen, was unresponsive, and was covered up and had never seen nor heard from again because, Chris, that's how the story ends with old Mitty. But who the fuck knows, Chris, because this guy was supposedly so experienced in the area, you would think that he'd be aware of any openings or dwellings that may be any kind of danger to him, but... Chris, why don't you take it away with our second? And this is probably the most popular disappearance of all of them. So the next disappearance, which only occurs one year later, is the disappearance of Paula Jean Weldon. And this was an 18-year-old student at Bennington College. Some of you that may be familiar with Vermont might know of Long Trail Brewery or have heard of Long Trail before. So Long Trail is actually right around the location of where Mitty disappeared. But then Paula also disappears while hiking on the Long Trail. She was by herself, so she heads off onto Long Trail on her own and comes across an elderly couple who was hiking behind her. And so as she's going out, she's probably about 100 yards ahead, and the couple comes around the corner to where I guess they last saw her. And then at that point, forward they can no longer see her anymore and that's the last she is actually seen whoa Uh, whoa 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 you're saying that the old people couldn't see her are you being ageist brother 
she was obviously not in range. I wasn't, uh, you know, making fun of anybody's uh, sight. <laughs> but yeah, Chris, what's, um, what's, what's odd about this case is that apparently Paula was, and I, I, I've read this in quite a few places, Paula's dad was actually a pretty well-known industrialist in the area, and I believe they lived in Connecticut. But there was rumor, and this happens all the time, especially prior to a disappearance or prior to a tragic event, there's always speculation that there was problems within the family. But apparently we get the same message here, that she was not overly thrilled to be going home to uh, see her family after this semester was over. Because we said that this took place in early December, which would mean it was coming up on the end of that semester there. So people witnessed her walking in, like this old couple that you were mocking, along with a gentleman named Ernest Whitman, who was apparently a reporter for one of these local newspapers there. They all said that they saw her walk in. She asked them for directions. But here's the weird thing, dude. December in Vermont on an elevated hiking trail, she walks in with no jacket, no supplies, nothing, all by her lonesome. Now, I've never been to this long trail but I'll tell you one thing, I hate going into the woods by myself because you just don't know what's out there. Yeah, animals, yes, but then, you know, there can always be some freak drifter walking around. Her being a young college student, not prepared for the terrain that she was entering. I don't know, man, something does not make sense because obviously people saw her there and you're saying this couple saw her 100 yards ahead. 100 yards is not that far. And so as they rounded that bend, she should have still been in sight. But she completely disappeared. And I know, you know, Chris, when there's foliage on the ground and, you know, you divert from different trails and you're, you're surrounded by all these different trails, it's easy to uh, go off trail and get discombobulated and not be able to find your way back. I absolutely know from experience that's very easy to lose track of where you are, especially if you're unfamiliar with the area. And sometimes these trail markers and stuff, if there even is any... Uh, can be a little misleading or, or just easy to confuse. Oh, you. absolutely. So if she's asking for directions, obviously she's not aware of you know the area that she's in. But yeah, very, very interesting that she's without a jacket. And, and they even make point to say that the temperature dropped so drastically that day, going all the way down to nine degrees. So whether or not there's a factor in if she got lost and then the temperature drops to a, a point where... She's un- unable to cope with it. Uh, you would still expect that she might be found somewhere. So I'm, I'm not so convinced that she just kind of got lost. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And especially with the temperatures up there. In these elevated terrains, once the sun goes down, dude, the temps drop very quickly. Especially if you're covered over by trees. Just, you know, it, it's even colder. So she obviously was not prepared for this terrain. Which makes me think that she was probably just going in there for a quick walk or a quick hike and then was planning on coming back out and like you're saying chris if she did you know succumb to some of the elements out there her body would definitely have been found i think with the initial search which took place only hours after she was reported missing they definitely would have found something a piece of clothing a shoe anything there were no remnants of her at all which makes me believe that this was not an animal either I'm starting to lean uh, in favor of this being a crime of opportunity by somebody who was lurking in the woods. But without there being a body and without there being any evidence, 
it gets more and more difficult to reach a conclusion. As always with these type of cases, there's rumors and speculation. Because she was a young girl, a young college student, people speculate that she moved to Canada with a boyfriend and uh, became a recluse that was just living in the mountains. Now, <laughs> okay, I understand that maybe maybe the, the idea of wanting to go live in the mountains and get away from society, but you just don't walk into the mountains with the clothes on your back. <laughs> you got to have some preparation. <laughs> That's not a good start to a new lifestyle, uh, going out un- unproperly clothed for uh, a nine-degree evening. Yeah, not at all. So we're going to circle back to this one later, Chris, because I have a, a feeling on some other things I've been reading on this that, not that I think that I know what happens, but I have a, a feeling as to what may have happened. Okay, so I'm leaving the door open for me to be wrong here, of course. So Chris, this next one here, this is probably, I don't want to say my favorite, but I find this one to be the, the most intriguing. I mean, it's very, uh, it's very odd. And that's the disappearance of Mr. Tefford. And this one took place in 1949. And get this, to the day that Paula went missing. So three years to the day, on December 1st of 1949. So that is when our man James Tefford went missing. But get this, Chris. He didn't walk into some woods. He didn't walk into a dark alley. He didn't leave any you know, bizarre goodbye note. No, none of that, Chris. Mr. Tedford was actually a passenger on a bus when people say that he just simply vanished off the bus. And get this, every last bit of evidence of his being was retrieved from that bus, except for James Tedford himself. As the story goes, uh, James was visiting family up in St. Albans, which is all the way up in northern Vermont, and he was taking a bus home back to Bennington, where he lived in the Bennington Soldiers' Home. So this is where things get odd, because they say somewhere between the last stop and Bennington, Tedford disappeared, never seen nor heard from again. And now people claim that he was on the bus, he was sitting in the back with all of his belongings, they never saw him leave the bus, Nothing aside from his belongings were ever found. There was no trace of James Tedford anywhere on that bus. Now, hold on, Chris. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the sense that you already sound a little bit cynical about this theory of uh, James Tedford possibly, possibly spontaneously combusting. But the, as we said, there were no remnants of Mr. Tedford, just that he completely vanished. Chris, what do you think happened here? Maybe he did actually get off. Well, he must have gotten off the bus unless he's <laughs> unless he's Houdini himself. He had to have left, and perhaps maybe on the coattails of another person, he you know just kind of blended in with uh, you know a group that was leaving the bus on the stop. But it does not explain him leaving everything on the bus unless he you know had a history of being forgetful i'm not talking about like oh i you know i left my keys in the room i'm talking about like having like alzheimer's or something like that that he might have not realized that he uh, got off at the wrong stop leaving his stuff and then it's very easy to just disappear and we're talking like 1949 here so he doesn't have a cell phone that can be tracked you know so well that's the thing i mean we, we we look at these stories from a 2021 perspective, right? So, like, how, how can nobody 
find him? How did nobody see him? How did no cameras pick him up? That's the thing. There were no cameras, right? So that bus, not knowing that he was not in his seat, takes off. And maybe he left everything there. The rest of his belongings were there. Like, you know, maybe he didn't have any money with him or he didn't have any ID. And uh, one thing led to another. You know, as we said, this is already December, so it's probably cold up there. Maybe he tried walking that distance home and something happened on the way back because they said that it was the next to last stop. So I don't know how far away that is from Bennington, but that could possibly be the answer there, that he tried walking and did not survive uh, the elements. We know that he was visiting relatives. We don't know how often, but if he easily mistook the the last stop being Bennington, not the one that he got off, that that's totally a possibility. Well, that's the thing too, and you know, people always say, you know, eyewitness accounts and whatnot. But if somebody's not doing something memorable to grab your attention, it's easy to say that you remember that person sitting there. But you know, you could be wrong. So my thought here is that this guy obviously got off the bus at one of the stops and, and did not make it back time and the bus took off without him but you would think that you know and i don't know if they did so i'm not going to make the accusation but you would think that the bus driver would notify somebody and then another bus would possibly circle back to the uh, station to see if they could find uh, mr tedford i think this is an easy one chris i think he got off and did not make it back in time the bus takes off they find all his stuff there as legends grow throughout the years he just astral projected himself to a different world where in reality he probably just got stuck at that last bus stop probably attempted to walk home especially if he didn't have his wallet and belongings with him and uh something happened along the way i think there's something here with this tedford case that might very well tie into the paul weldon case but we'll leave that for the end so uh, let's get to the next person on our list here chris and that is paul jepson you want to tell us a little bit about Paul? This case is a little more tragic because it involves an eight-year-old boy. And he was in the truck with his mom when she goes to feed the pigs. She was gone for approximately an hour. And when she comes back, he's gone. And from that point on, that's when a search party starts you know, going out looking for him. And then nothing was ever found, despite the fact that the boy was wearing a very bright red jacket, which they had hoped would be a good way to be able to spot him a little easier, especially in the fall. But they never find anything ever again. And, and they actually sent out bloodhounds to track him and apparently tracked him all the way to a local highway, which, according to the local legend, four years earlier where Paul Weldon had disappeared. Mm-hmm. So... Now we're four disappearances in, and suddenly things are starting to be connected. We're talking about everything being in the fall, and right now we're, we're within the span of five years. So is this potentially a serial killer? All signs are starting to point to that, Chris. I mean, because you have U.S. Route 7, right, and then Route 9 and 7A. They all kind of run throughout this Bennington Triangle area. So, you know, there's a couple things with uh, Paul's case here, right? And believe it or not, James Tedford, his bus ran that same route. So keep that in mind, too. Remember I said that I think he might have tried walking from that last stop. So that would then take Mr. Tedford on this same route. But let's get back to Paul first. Mm -hmm. We may be onto something here, pal. But Paul, 
You know, a couple odd things here that his mom went to feed some pigs. So I'm guessing up in that area of Vermont, you know, you have quite a few farms, whatnot. So maybe she, you know, was working at a farm or, or helping out a family friend or whatnot. So who knows? But it's just odd to me that it would take over an hour. You know, it's kind of a long time to leave an eight-year-old kid in the car by themselves. I mean, granted, we're talking about 1950. So again, that's something that that, that, that time frame doesn't really match up to what would happen in 2021. You know, you leave an eight-year-old in a car for an hour, you, you're probably going to jail now. But back then, things were much more lax, especially in, in, in an area like this. This, again, to me, if the mom didn't have anything to do with this, this is the ultimate crime of opportunity. Because, you know, with like an eight-year-old kid, you know, your mom tells him to stay, stay put, stay in the car. But I'm sure, you know, curiosity, after a while, maybe you have to go piss or whatever, or you see something that interests you, you get out of the car. And if you have other vehicles passing by, someone sees a young kid on the side of the road by himself, and the bloodhounds pick up a scent that leads directly to this road and stops, that just tells you one thing, that the kid was taken and put into a car and gone. This definitely sounds like you said a crime of opportunity. Him being in eyesight of anyone driving by and that's the thing too especially if he was wearing this red jacket like the mom reported that's something substantial that can kind of stick out right you know whenever you see someone wearing something that's bright red that that's something that instantly kind of sticks with you for some reason or another just because i guess the brightness of the color we don't know how far away the car was parked from this highway or or the road there so who knows maybe somebody was watching the whole time or somebody in a nearby house, saw this, got in their car, and took the kid and did something with them. You don't know, but in my opinion, dude, this just seems like the ultimate crime of opportunity. Somebody saw this kid, whether you know they saw him in the car or outside the car, swooped up, you know, maybe asked him a question, can you tell me where this is or what that is, tricked him into coming over to the car, and then, boom, gone. And the mom is none the wiser. So let's jump into our fifth and final Please. I mean, this is getting more dark and sinister than I expected, Chris. So, uh, the last person on our list is Frida Langer. And Frida's disappearance also happened in 1950. And get this, Chris, a mere two weeks after Paul disappeared. Okay, so let's get into this. Frida Langer, again, right in the fall, right? Mm-hmm. In the fall, it's, it, it fits that profile that we're working on here. So, Frida Langer, she was 53 years old, and she was apparently out camping with her family around the Somerset Reservoir, which is also in the Green Mountain National Forest. So it's in our same quote-unquote triangle here, right? So as the story goes, Frida was hiking with her cousin Herbert, and it was during this hike where she apparently slipped and fell into a stream. According to um, old Herbert, Frida's cousin, she says to him, hey, listen, Stay right here. I'll go back to the camp. I'll change, and I'll catch right back up with you when we can finish off our hike here. Old Herbert says that she left to do exactly just that, but never came back. So now, cousin uh, Herbie here, he made his way back to the camp and discovered that Frida never returned, and nobody had seen her since she left. Weird enough, yes, but it's about to get a whole lot weirder, Chris. Because over the next few weeks, there were a number of searches conducted. And not just mild little searches, dude. Not just people walking through the woods. We had helicopters. We had a mob of searchers, right? They couldn't find a thing. Now, get this. That following spring, 
On May 12, 1951 to be exact, her body was found near the Somerset Reservoir. And uh, get this, pal. The area was extensively searched all those months prior with nothing ever having been found. Now, Chris, they searched for seven months. There was no body in that area. They searched extensively throughout the whole reservoir. Nothing. Then on one spring day, they stumble across this body. To me, Chris, it sounds like the body was taken from the location and then dumped back there the following spring. I think that's a very good possibility. So if she got lost and didn't know how to get back and perhaps that led to her death, they would have found her. I don't I think I have a doubt in my mind that with that extensive search party and aircrafts and all that stuff, that they would have found her. Not to mention you're talking about with the aircraft going overhead that there's no... There may be some, but at some point during these searches, there was no leaves left on the trees the only possibility was that if she did succumb to weather or who knows what and then the leaves fell and covered her and then over time leading up to the spring her body was you know kind of unveiled from the leaves i don't think that happened here i think what happened was somebody got to her it was probably all over the the news or all over the papers and stuff about this missing person in the town with with so much coverage on it and then the person who probably took her i would think saw all of this going on and was like oh you know like let me reveal what happened so to speak but in a way that i guess perhaps doesn't really give up what they did like they're like like they're playing a game that is a very astute observation chris and which makes it even more interesting is that no cause of death could be determined so, I mean, who knows what shape the body was in, decomposition and whatnot, obviously, but, you know, if the body was left there throughout that cold Vermont winter, you would assume that there would be some kind of slowdown in a decomposition. To me, this sounds, with a search that extensive, and remember, we're talking about October, so then you have November, December, you still have a few months before you get into that real deep, uh, cold Vermont winter. So... That body should have definitely been found. This has all the markings, and I'm going to say it again, Chris, a crime of opportunity. If her cousin wasn't the one who did it, I'm thinking that Frida was on her way back. Some creep was lurking in the woods, maybe holds her at gunpoint, takes her down a different trail where there's a car waiting or whatnot. You know, because I don't know, dude, I, I, I don't go camping, but I have a lot of friends that do it, and I'm always just weary of it because who knows what kind of creeps are lingering around these campsites at night. We're doing a day. Yeah, and we're talking about the same area within five years. So it's starting to get to the point, and I would think that the town of Bennington or other neighboring towns would probably at, at this point be very startled and wondering if there's somebody out there. I, I mean, I could imagine that activity in the campsite areas and surrounding area probably was pretty much halted for a while until people felt comfortable again. And that's the thing, especially in these tourist areas, which... I guess you would consider Bennington kind of a touristy little town. You know, you kind of want to keep these things under lock and key, especially when you have these constant disappearances because, you know, you need that tourism and you need that commerce coming in. And, you know, what's bizarre here with these five cases, yes, they are all different and it, it takes place within the span of five years and they don't all meet the same physical criteria. 
that doesn't mean that just because they're not the same sex or height, size, whatnot, that it wasn't the same person responsible for their disappearance. So, uh, Chris, uh, let's get into what we think, and then uh, let's uh, get the hell out of this town before we disappear next. Do you think uh, these disappearances are tied together or not? Lay it on us, bud. I know that these five cases are definitely highlighted as this being located in this area, which they refer to as Bennington Square. We don't know if there was other weird things that may have happened unrelated uh, in the neighboring areas and stuff like that. Obviously, they're just they're just focused on these five, but I think for a good reason because the timing and the time of year. And while like a serial killer obviously doesn't need any sort of a motive to do with what they're doing. They typically do have a pattern, but that doesn't mean that they all have to have a pattern as to how they're killing or who they're killing, right? If it is, if it's the same sex, if it's around the same age, you know, there's different things that you would think that the, that a person would be geared towards when doing things like this. But we're talking all different ages and sex, you know, like we've got two females of various ages, right, from 18 to uh, the other being 53, and then three males, one being an eight-year-old boy, one being a 74-year-old man, and another middle to late-aged man. So there's no rhyme or reason to When you say it like that, it does not sound like a serial killer, but there's just too much coincidence going on here. The disappearances without finding any trace and then the last one being very mysterious and the fact that they searched every single area high and low and then all of a sudden they find a body in a space that they already looked at. It's just, I don't know. Initially, when I, I was looking into this case, especially with the James Tedford and, you know, the speculation that he just vanished right off the bus. So initially, you know, I thought it was a little bit comical. But now that I'm starting to put it the pieces together you know if he was indeed late in getting back on that bus and then tried to walk home it would take him along that same strip of road in which paula we assume might have went missing on which we know paul was last seen then that leaves us with frida and Mitty rivers so we're talking about a small area especially in southern vermont you know yes vermont is a longer state uh, when you're talking about going north to south but in southern vermont when you're talking about going east to west that is a very small area of land it's not very big at all so i'm looking at this dude and with the exception of maybe midi to me this sounds like we have a serial killer on our hands I mean, I don't know, man. I'm just looking at this and thinking that there is some freak lurking in the woods or constantly driving up and down Route 7 or Route 7A or Route 9, whatever the hell you got there, and searching for victims, searching for easy prey. And, you know, some of these serial killers have no rhyme or reason. They are just opportunists. So whenever they see someone that is in a vulnerable position, they're just going to attack. And what's more vulnerable than an 18-year-old kid walking through the woods or an 8-year-old boy on the side of the road or an older gentleman walking in the woods or walking down the side of the road, you know, or a female in the woods. All these people had themselves in very vulnerable positions in a very short time period in a very small geographical location. So, Chris, I'm going to say it, bud. I say serial killer. I would actually 
because of this case, want to investigate a little further as to any other events that could have occurred around these times, even or before or after this five-year period, just to see if there was anything suspicious. And not not necessarily in Bennington, but let's just say a couple towns over, if there was a, a bunch of disappearances, maybe if, if the person moved to a different location, you know, as to not be eventually pieced together that there might be somebody uh, doing this. So I, I would be curious if there, uh, if there wasn't others. Well, that, remember that our man, uh, Joey Citro, came up with the phrase, the, the Bennington Triangle. And that's the thing. Throughout the years, people do claim to have other things that they try to pack into this specific triangle. But like you're saying, no, it, it's, it's a little bit farther outside the realm it's up in a different town that maybe doesn't go into the same geographical uh triangle you're right though so maybe this person who's doing this is moving to different locations and we're just not putting all that together but i'm looking at this dude and it just sounds to me like this is someone that knows the area knows the woods and uh knows how to not get caught but yeah chris i mean that definitely puts a little uh overcast uh, cloud on that sweet little town of bennington vermont doesn't it so the next time we stay there, pal, we better think twice about uh, running our mouths. Well, I will say, though, uh, and I'm glad that you volunteered, while <laughs> I will be staying in the Hampton Inn, you will be camping uh, in the woods of Bennington. <laughs> oh, boy. This is not going to end well, is it? <laughs> but, my man, I'll tell you one thing. After the next Spartan race, we will be very easy prey. <laughs> Seriously. There will be, uh, there'll be no fight left. <laughs> but, yeah, that's it, Chris. That is the case of the bennington triangle disappearances so uh i don't know man this is a weird one and people speculate on this case all the time so uh if you would like to speculate right along with us drop us a line at btcpod2020 at gmail.com or you can uh, drop chris a line on facefuck.com uh between the cracks podcast or you can get me on insta suck and that's uh between the cracks podcast also you can uh, message me there we'll get back to you uh, if you want to become one of our lovely patrons, please feel free to click the link in the show notes. Uh, like I said, we have different tiers there. You get to request shows, you get mugs and stickers, all these great things. And uh, it's a fun little community that we have. They're great people. So please take a look at that if you're interested. So Chris, with all that said, why don't you say we wish the fine, fine people out in podcast land the fondest. Oh. A farewells. Woo! All right. That turned out to be a good episode. Yeah, I don't envy your editing job. No. Yeah, it's pretty good. We had a couple of uh, we had a couple of dead air spots where I could probably knock out some things. to episode number 54. Chris, how be you? I'd be good. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I said all right, everybody! Oh, welcome to episode number 54. <laughs> okay. All right. Um... <clears throat> <laughs> we're not we're not doing this. <laughs> Here we go. Yes, that plus the history of <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> that and of course the history. <laughs> fucking idiot. You fucking idiot. <laughs> God. Oh, it's fucking I'm burning alive up in this fucking room. Shit. <laughs> Alright. Oh, it's been a while since this happened. <laughs> <laughs> Would it help if I, if I left the room? No. <laughs> uh, well, there will be no shortage of bloopers tonight. Uh.